0: To another Take the Lead podcast. I am your host, Tara Chantel. Before we get into the podcast, I have a question for you. Are you ready to lead by example? Be the example. The example begins with you. Today we are in our Bag Talk session series, and I have such a lovely queen in the building, assistant volleyball coach of the Lady Panthers, author of Grateful and Greed that challenges us and reforms the way we win in life, Tamika Newman. thank Thank you
1: so much for having me.
0: That's so exciting from being a volleyball coach to writing your book. I would love to know more of what inspired you in your childhood to go after your goals like
1: this. Um, So I had very uh, humble beginnings. Uh, Grew up kind of in dysfunction. Uh, My grandparents raised me. My mom had some issues with uh, drug addiction. So I grew up in a house full of people. Uh, My grandmother couldn't give us much in the way of money, but she gave us a great foundation. Um, She put a lot of work into me and my brothers, into um, helping us to just be decent humans, (laughs) helping us to have aspiration, to take pride in ourselves, to make good decisions. Um, And then I was a huge reader. So even though I couldn't see uh, success around me, when I read books, I got really excited because I was like, oh wait, there's this whole world out there. It's this world of possibilities of what I can be. So reading really got me excited and motivated um, to be somebody.
0: Wow, that's incredible. From actually witnessing your humble beginnings and still having the courage to, despite all the obstacles or the cars that you were dealt, to still overcome all that. How did you do that? And how did you get your
1: mind to think bigger than what you see? I think I was kind of born with this competitive edge. So by the time I realized about eight or nine that my family structure looked different than others, I set out to prove that I wasn't at a disadvantage. And it kind of set me on this laser-like focus to just be somebody. I was like, hey, this doesn't look like everybody else's, but there's no way I'm gonna feel inferior. And as a kid, there were a few moments where I was a little sad because I was, you know, missing my mom, missing my dad. But for the most part, it literally set me on fire. And I just took off toward I'm gonna be somebody. So I would I would seek out free resources. Even as a kid, I went to summer school when I didn't need to because it was I knew it was gonna be food. Um, there was arts, crafts, there was free gymnastics, low-level gymnastics, you know, reading camp. So I just took advantage of all the free stuff. I was super respectful to adults. So I always ended up getting help or, hey, Tamika, here's this, I know you wanna participate, your grandma probably can't afford it. So people were always reaching out. They could see that I wanted to be somebody even before I knew what I wanted to be and and they would reach out and help and that was motivating that kind of helps you to keep going okay somebody believes that i can i can be something um and then my mom later on in life getting closer to my mom who managed to get herself off of drugs and realizing she had this crazy steel like will i knew that it wasn't out of you know it didn't come out of the clear blue sky that i was as tough and as uh had such a strong will to overcome adversity. So it was kind of in me. It was kind of in me, even though my mom wasn't there, I had picked that trait up from her.
0: I commend you, Queen, because just experiencing poverty and just the cars that we are dealt with just as black women and to have this resiliency and the art of forgiveness is so beautiful in your story, how you give your grandparents and your parents grace. And I would love to know your perspective on giving someone grace and the art of forgiveness like this. Even
1: as a kid, um, I somehow I was intuitive enough to know that holding a grudge was going to affect me. Mm-hmm. I could see the effects of it in family members who, People had disappointed them. They were walking around with a certain level of of hatred and they couldn't get ahead in life. They couldn't go any further. So even as a kid, I decided that my mother's challenge had nothing to do with me. I was able to separate myself from that. And I have, it's five of us. All five of us weren't able to do that at some point. I've always been able to do it, but my brother and sister had some challenges throughout life, some points when they, they didn't want to move on. And um, we're all moved on by now. But I, I could see the effects of not forgiving, that it definitely um, hinders you. So I ch- I choose forgiveness um, all the time. It took me to mature a little bit to understand that I don't necessarily have to keep keep those individuals in my life but truly letting it go and forgiving them definitely is beneficial to me and it's not about them mm-hmm. so it is it's grown what forgiveness looks like yes. as i've aged
0: yes the power and letting go But as a child, you were so wise and still so wise having that intuition and listening to that gut feeling. As a child, how did you tap into that?
1: God, I I thank God because growing up low income, I wasn't the smartest. I was decently smart. I wasn't the most athletic. I was not the most athletic kid in my neighborhood. And I went on to play two sports in college. so God just kind of gave me this fortitude, this stick-wittedness, this vision. Um, and then being stubborn. I you just can't tell me I can't do something.
0: Right! <laughs> <Bye.
1: laughs> you, know, you just can't, you know, I have to see for myself. Um <laughs> there's gotta be another way. Um so I, I think a lot of it has to do with God just just choosing me, Um, Mm. and then, um, yeah, so just just God. Uh,
0: God is so good, God is so good, let's give it up for God, okay? (laughs) (laughs) I would love to know your journey in volleyball and how you got started with coaching these young ladies.
1: Okay, well, volleyball wasn't in my neighborhood. So I think I remember seeing um, two-on-two beach on TV on weekends. And I remember seeing the uh, U.S. Olympic team. That was my exposure to volleyball. Seventh grade came, I was five eight, so that was tall for seventh grade. I made mean, the seventh grade C team and uh, progressed a lot, a lot, a lot. By eighth grade, we moved schools and I made the A team. And I had a little bit better body control. I started to pay attention um, I realized I needed to know the footwork. I was really truly behind in the footwork. So everywhere became my gym. I was practicing my approach in the kitchen, driveway, grocery store aisle. I was like, I'm gonna get this again. I refused to be at a disadvantage because I got to volleyball late. So I took control over my learning and coached myself up. At the time there was no um, YouTube in it. I don't remember where what I what resources I used. Maybe magazines back then. Um, get to ninth grade, my school wasn't very good. Um, I think I played freshman, but I could have played JV. Tenth grade, it takes off. I realize, hey, I'm pretty good at this. I was a basketball kid. I had dreams of being in the WNBA. The WNBA was formed when I was 12 um houston won the first four championships so this was wnba nation oh
0: all right
1: <laughs> yes um, this one of the star players i remember always um, getting told i look like her i love that it was cheryl swoops she went to texas tech and then she was a star player um, so that kind of i i was gonna be in, you know play basketball i was gonna be in the WNBA. i really fell in love with the technical part of volleyball I, it, it, it intrigued me. Basketball, was late to basketball, but I could run, jump, I was strong. Okay, I'm decent, but volleyball was going to take some work. So, got into volleyball, progressed at a really good rate, did decent with basketball, played varsity almost, you know, all four years for both. Helped lead our team to the playoffs in both for the first time in like 13 years for one and 20 years for the other. Yeah, so me and a good friend of mine led both teams and started getting time for college. I, I didn't know if I was college, you know, if I had college ability. I just put my head down and kept working and I was like, something's gonna fall in my lap. And I played AAU basketball only because it was free, because we couldn't afford it. And uh, senior year, I think I talked to Prairie View Basketball first. And then he put me in contact. Oh, little did I know, a coach saw me at a high school game called the volleyball coach at Prairie View. She had my name, so basketball. I said, hey, I had a crazy idea I could play both. I mean, I was insane. I, 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 can, I was like, I don't wanna choose, I can do both. And Prairie, the basketball coach said, hey, I don't know anybody that's done it recently, but I'll ask. He talked to volleyball. Um, she agreed. She called me. Like I said, somebody had already given her my name, and they, they were the only school to offer me to play both. And I said, hey, I'm going. So, um, I also, I had a dream of being the next Pam Oliver. So, she's the first Black sideline reporter. Went to Florida a and I was going to Prairie View A&M. It just... It
0: <laughs> god everything is just in alignment that way <laughs> why did you balance basketball and volleyball like this
1: uh, so i totally underestimated it i didn't underestimate it i knew it was hard i was like i'm gonna figure it out so by the second year midway basketball i got the flu my basketball coach is like she's cynthia cooper uh basketball hall of famer She's like, okay, do what you can. And me having pride, I was like, okay, I'm gonna do what I can. I went 20 minutes, literally passed out on the sideline, got home and was like, I think I'm done. I, I realized my dream. I did it one full year, almost completed two. I'm tired mentally, physically. My grades were, the first year my grades were really low. Um, I just was like, hey, you you did what you set out to do and I quit. So I only made it two years. I went on to have an amazing volleyball career. We ended up the conference champion and I ended up my senior year player of the year. So had a great career, as great a career you can have at a small college. Um, Went to graduate school at Texas Southern and helped out in the basketball, the women's basketball program still love basketball, so I went to help them out. And um, my friend's dad called me from the neighborhood and said, hey, it was just charter school. It's designed for kids who they'll be first time. It it promotes kids to be the first generation college students in their family. It's mostly Hispanic, um, definitely Hispanic and, and Black, but mostly Hispanic. So I go back and coach. And I love it, it's amazing. They don't know anything, but they have, they, they wanna learn, their sponge, it was just very fulfilling. I take a kid home and as I'm pulling up, it's pretty obvious there's no electricity and there's no plumbing. It, 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 it looks pretty bad, the house is barely hanging on. And I'm, I'm probably uh, one year into grad school uh, and right then and there I decide I'm gonna go be a coach. I was like, I'm gonna go be for these kids what someone was to me. I'm gonna be, and I'm not gonna be just a coach. I'm gonna be the kind of coach that cares about what's happening in your life.
0: In your life.
1: Yes, so I graduated, got certified to be a teacher. I was a teacher and a coach for 10 years. And um, my book actually starts with my final year as a high school teacher and a coach. Um, even I went into it for impact and to work with low income kids like me, I ended up getting a job in an affluent area and, uh, doing really, really well, which helped my career and experiencing a lot of systemic racism. It was very frustrating, very disappointing, very hurtful. Um, kind of believing it was that job. I took another job uh, and that job, I mean, I actually had to file a protective order. Some parents wrote letters. It, it was a full out rejection. Um, so everywhere I went, I was the first blackhead volleyball coach. And some schools I was the first black female coach, period. So that was always a challenge. Um, a huge challenge. I kind of got caught up in, I was doing well in terms of wins and losses. I really made a decent name for myself, which I wore with a sense of pride because it was a very tense situation every year. You know, I, I got stories where a coach didn't shake my hand a couple of times. You know, I got I have stories of uh, my kids being snubbed out of awards because I'm
0: the coach. Resiliency all the way. And it's just incredible, these obstacles that are presented. And you just be jumping over them left and right, and you make it look so easy. And I would love to dive deeper in this racism that you experience as being a Black coach and teaching volleyball, because our culture is not fully aware of the technical aspects in volleyball. How did you persevere?
1: When I first got into it, like every other time in my life, I was like, I gotta be the best. So I invested in tons of professional development. I coached travel ball, I coached little kids because I wanted to know how kids learn. You know, I worked with high school, but I wanted to go backwards. Okay, how do kids learn motor skills? How do they best learn this? How do they best learn that? So I would work college camps all summer. Every break I would go to clinics. So I ran myself raggedy. Hey, I gotta know as much as my white counterpart. And after about three years, I realized, I don't even know, maybe Steve Jobs says this, we should focus on being different than being better. And it really wasn't serving my kids. I was in middle class, schools, but we we had a good mix. I had kids who could afford anything. I had kids who kind of needed, need, they needed time to save up. And I had kids who flat out couldn't. So I was in a school like that. The kids who could do a lot had no consideration for the kids who couldn't. Their parents didn't. Um, and, and I hated that because I, I knew I was the kid who didn't. And I would have really struggled, suffered, but because of people who could not considering me. So I really was a huge proponent advocate of that. But I shifted my focus to being different and really catering to my kids. I said, okay, I got some kids who started really, really late and I got elite kids. I had kids that were going on to play division one volleyball. And I sat, picked my own brain and put together these systems that caught the kids up that were low and still progressed the kids that were high. So those kids that were high in skills, I worked on their mental. Kids that were low, we worked on reps. Reps, 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 kind of like going to a camp. Every day I created a camp atmosphere. Um, So I developed a system. I developed a practice system that mimicked the game. Um, And we saw a lot of success. Even when we were in districts where teens were way better, I still was producing more kids that went to college and excelled at college. So um, that that was where I shifted my focus. I can't help who's on to my school. I'm gonna get everybody better before they leave here, but that won't mean we'll win state titles, right? But those that want to pursue co- college after high school, they're gonna be ready, they're gonna go, they're gonna have a mental toughness to stay and not leave and drop out. They're gonna start and they're gonna produce, and they did. The ones who stayed. Some kids, they just what they just weren't cut out for it. And then the kids that go in to just go to college, they're going again. They're going to be tough, mentally tough enough to be away from home on their own. Those that go to work, they're going to be responsible people who work, show up, work well with others. Um, and I had a lot of success doing that, and that that mattered to me more than more than winning big district titles or anything like that. So when I shifted my focus from that, of course, it was hard getting kids to buy into that because they're like, well, I remember we didn't we didn't run a lot. I found a way to implement conditioning in the drills. Mm-hmm. Well, old school volleyball or sport, you're going to run the last few minutes of practice, sprints. And uh, a team that was really good in our district in the offseason, they were still ran a lot. And we lifted, we did plyometrics, we did a lot of things that were more volleyball specific. I remember a kid kind of questioning that. Well, they run. I, I want to run cuz they win, that must be right. How ridiculous. A kid asked me to run more. And you know, she didn't she didn't realize the other factors. Those kids play volleyball since they can walk. <laughs> Running had nothing to do with it. Running in fact was counterproductive in our season. <laughs> so, um, I shifted my focus to that and really became my own judge and created our own metric. You know, if we meet this, then we, we won here. But, you know, it came with its high, highs and lows, you know, getting buy-in was hard. But I'm pleased that I went to that method. And I, I tell coaches, especially minority coaches, because we want to get in there. You want to be able to say you know the stuff. You don't wanna, you know, they already believe we don't know it technically. We can just coach effort and athleticism. And so you're gonna get tempted. You know, I wanna be able to have some credibility that I know it, but don't, you you can't worry about that. You kinda gotta play your course, not, you know, not the players. Look at what you have. How can I get these kids better with the resources that we have here?
0: that's incredible especially being a minority coach being a black woman and coaching volleyball and you still have so much love in your heart for all these ladies you're not treating them with any any certain way or you're not treating anyone differently and I love that about you that just shows your spirit and that just shows how genuine of a soul you are What have you learned from the ladies by coaching
1: them? Probably don't take myself so serious. You know, I can can recall being upset that they don't take certain things serious. And I think we gotta have that. Everybody's gotta be like that to a certain extent to maintain your sanity and to not take things, you know, so serious. Working with with kids, young ladies, has really taught me unconditional love because, uh, you know, they'll really tick you off. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <Obviously>. <laughs> they'll really tick you off they're, you know I have to remember that they're coming and I'm going they need to be taught they don't know this stuff so you know you got to curb your frustration they're not gonna always do what you think they should do so it teaches you grace and I coached six seven years before I had a kid and it really got me ready for that um i remember making some statements about i wouldn't let my kid do that or their mom should be getting on them for that or and then having a kid and being like i shouldn't have been saying nothing about parenting (laughs) Mm -hmm. no it is is such a individual thing specific to your kid yeah they taught me i shouldn't have been saying nothing about being a parent
0: (laughs) Wow, noted, honestly. And it's just commending you as a mother as well and still coaching other people's children. That's incredible. How do you balance your child and these ladies as well?
1: I'll tell you what, that was one of the reasons I got out of high school coaching and teaching. I actually forgot had a really bad day at school, was nearly attacked by a special ed student, had a game that day and forgot to pick my kid up. And um, that was kind of the final strike for me that, you know, the stress level and the time away from home, my kid was going to bed at like 10 o'clock at night. So um, that was kind of the final straw for me to walk away from it. And I was gonna be an entrepreneur. You know, um, I have a pers- my personal business and then uh, my friend who, and former teammate who's at Prairie View, uh, I came over to help her. That wasn't necessarily a plan for me, but it, it worked out that it ended up being a lot more flexible than high school. High school, we're up at 5.30, school starts at seven. If you coach, you're likely getting home at 9.30, 10 o'clock twice a week, sometimes three times. Yeah. so. Uh I and and my, my long-term goal isn't to, to coach college for long because again it's time consuming. And once I knew I was gonna be a single parent, I was like, okay, my kids already got one parent. She can't have no parents. Mm-hmm. Um so I set out to find creative ways to and I'm working, you know, I'm still in the process of that ways to coach up athletes and coaches and people, young professionals but still not neglect my parental duties. So the, the last part of my subtitle, redefining what it means to win, I, that's what I'm doing every day. <laughs> Cause I love to win, right? I, I love to win, but I, I need to redefine that because of what my life look, looks like now.
0: And that's amazing how you're able to adapt to the situations left to right. And I would love to know more about grateful and greed and how you said to win at this life, what does winning in life look like to you?
1: Pursuing your passion. Um, And I think when we ask people what their passions are, they automatically go to something they love that helps other people. And that's fine. That's fine if your passion involves helping other people. But I think some people totally center their passions around helping other people versus I've got a passion, I want to do this. I'm going to go full speed ahead with enthusiasm toward this thing. I believe you doing that rubs off on other people and is super impactful. So I think the, the impact and the um, helping people is, you know, the residual effect. I don't believe that you should start with, okay, what is going to help people? Oh, that's my passion. I think that's what leads to burnout, disappointment, anxiety. You know, I wanted to be impactful in coaching. I went into coaching to be impactful. I love to win, but I went to impact people, to to impact kids, to be a to stand in the gap for them for whatever they needed. And it kind of blinded me. I was just grateful to have made it out of poverty, to got to get a solid job like teaching and coaching. I was super duper grateful. So when things started to go south, I was like, you just need to deal with it. You need to deal with it. And and, and it gave me, it, there were so many blind spots I couldn't see that I was developing anxiety. I couldn't see that I had a little bit of PTSD, that deep down my confidence was being chipped away my that my you know my self value i was believing maybe i can't do this and they're right maybe this is i'm not smart enough um so i'm encouraging people you you need to be grateful absolutely because that's for you that gets being grateful gets you out of poverty it keeps you from sinking in the deeper hole from when you look at your situation it, it it helps you to maintain some level of happiness but if you stop there and you think that's gonna benefit people, it's not. I think you need to be greedy and that's when your cup overflows and you're really impacting others. So that's just what I'm encouraging people to do, to go back, you know, any area you're unhappy with in your life, you're tired, frustrated, overwhelmed, under, you feel underappreciated, undervalued, go back and challenge some of your thoughts and beliefs What helped to to, to define the way you think about relationships, religion, education, career, raising kids? What helped shape the way you think about them? And truly examine, do I really agree with that though? Do I still agree with that? Or do I wanna redefine that for myself? So that's really the goal of the book is to talk about my life and how I start to accept what it looks like to win right I got laser focused I did this I knew it I knew you needed to make sacrifices I knew you need to be resilient I knew you needed to work hard um, and then I got what I set out to get and I was really 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 unhappy so I had to go see where did I where did I go wrong um, so just sitting still with yourself will really help you um, figure out where you might have misconstrued some things and help you go back and start to redefine it for yourself.
0: Oh, my gosh. Incredible. Especially since... We get in this phase in life that is programming us and we don't even know it in our subconscious mind and we pick up on things that doesn't really necessarily resonate with us. Mm -hmm. And that just plays a role with how we view life and how we live in this life. And we don't end up choosing ourselves first. And I love in the beginning of this session, you stated about choosing you Tell us about when you stepped into your power like this, when you just took a stance on life and you chose yourself and what all of the blessings came from that.
1: Yes. So deciding to walk away from teaching and coaching, you know, I was making a decent living. I was a single parent. I did not know. I'd formed my my business in January uh, 2018, 2019. I finished the school year, ends in June. I did not apply to get another job. I had no idea. I had my teacher access to my teacher retirement. I said, hey, I've got this money. Um, I got to decide what I want to do with the rest of my life. Maybe I can use this money to propel it. My friend calls with the Prairie job. So I get a job paying way less my business we did like five six camps that year made a couple thousand dollars uh was able to kind of use that money to supplement for what i lost i i reduced expenses said hey you got to move out of this fancy place move here do this went through all my bills what can i get rid of and, and surprisingly did not struggle. I really didn't. I was doing better with less money and I knew that was God. I really did, I knew that was God. Did not know how I would get babysitting for road trips because colleges you're gonna go. My brother and sister-in-law, my brother I only met six years ago. We have the same dad, just, you know, dysfunction, got disconnected met him his wife and him were amazing both of their sons out of the house they're like sure we'll watch her my daughter ends up staying the night they take her to school it it just it worked out and because i really took a leap of faith and literally bet on myself (laughs) i don't have a safety net i don't come from money um i did not know what i would have did had i not got another job Um, i literally said I've got all these skills, what can I transfer them to? And so, like I said, my business offered camps for low income. I went in I went in and said, hey, this, this program, this organization's charging you guys $100 a kid to come in and train, I'm gonna charge 40. People were like, you're crazy. People have the money, don't go that low. Even though I needed more money, I couldn't, I couldn't live with myself charging you know a killing for something that I could do in my sleep. I had have, I have put in 10 years of studying professional development. I had so much information. It, it was a no-brainer for me to go give a quality professional you know affordable camp. I started doing that. I consulted some some high school coaches. So when I started it was three in the greater Houston area, three black coaches. Outside of the inner city, there was three. When I finished, there's about 11 or 12. So I went and started consulting some of those women. Um, So I just put all the information I compiled, um, just put it to good use consulting. I think because my next move really was about serving people and it really, was my original mission to go in places that it was low resources. So, because I was true to myself, I think God honored that. Like you got into coaching to serve under, you know, underserved kids, and I, the places I went, I found the kids that I got into the business for. The few that there would be, I found them. But ultimately, when I totally committed to my talents to that, God really honored that, and I haven't struggled financially since, wow. since then, it's been a very, you know, low drop off. So that's kind of my testimony with that. I just leaped. And and God just caught you, caught you. <laughs> he, he did. And, and like I said, my daughter gets to do things I never dreamed. She, she does tennis. She does gymnastics. Those things aren't cheap. Wow. Um, but that was what i wanted for her to be able to do that for me to be able to take her but i had to get out of the situation that i was in um, in order to do that
0: wow that is amazing amazing testimony just the power in god and oh yeah once we surrender to god's will the blessings just overflow It's destined oh yeah that's the power of being obedient And I love how you specialize in personal development. I feel like once we step into developing oneself, then that's how we better the community. And you also have a heart of service for kids that are in less fortunate and poverty areas. What tips can you give us and advice to step into personal development?
1: Gotta assess your strengths and weaknesses. So gaining a greater sense of self, Where I fall short. And then, you know, planting seeds. And for me, that was even, you know, like I said, even when I was little, I would make sure to find those adults I knew could help. When I got to college, I would speak my dreams out loud in front of people that I knew could make phone calls, could send emails. So I was super resourceful. And I I really try to tell low income kids that look around you, you know, take advantage. Um, Tell somebody that you've got dreams and goals and then let them see you working and doing your part. Um, That's a big advice I give, but knowing knowing yourself, where you lack, and then diligently working on those things. Um, Hey, I struggle with speaking up, you know, tell somebody. And you know, we're in the information age, so people have it a little different now you know, get off YouTube and TikTok and go Google it. <laughs> how, to improve, how to improve self-advocating, how to improve my, uh, you know, any interpersonal skills or, you know, even very specific how to, how to rewrite my resume, how to interview better. Today I was looking at interview videos on YouTube and got down the, the rabbit hole. I was like, okay, this enough. It was a guy talking about how to answer the question tell me about yourself. What what somebody really is looking for when they ask you that. I I plan on being an entrepreneur the rest of my life and eventually full-time. And I don't plan to interview per se for a job, but I plan to pitch myself to business owners. So that's Vital information for me. That's what I was looking at today, not Instagram.
0: <laughs> so much that we can. It's so much knowledge out there. It's oh,
1: yeah. so much, and if we just consume in
0: yes. Instagram, we are gonna get off focus. And I love how you stated to, for us to stop chasing things, materialism, status, fame, mm-hmm. and to, to look inwardly. Can you tell us more about that perspective and that mindset you have?
1: It's really about, I said earlier about playing the course, not the players. My old my golf friend says, golf friend says, courses have different things unique to them when you go golfing. So a course kind of represents your life. There's so many, there's unique things to our lives. Some of us grow up in dysfunction without a parent, um, abuse with disabilities, low income, middle class, whatever. And you can't get caught up in the players. The players is anybody you encounter throughout your journey on, on the course. And you can't get caught up with, you meet this person and their course looks easy to you. right? That things just go smooth in their life. They got this going on. Everything they touch looks like it turns to gold. Um, you can't really progress kind of watching their course, you know, watching what they're doing. You really gotta be focused on your course. I can't, with trying to improve myself and working diligently on my goals and raising my kid, I don't even have the brain space (laughs) to worry about what somebody else is doing. It takes everything I have mentally every day to get better because I'm developing a new mindset that I'm trying to get rid of, every day I'm fighting my old mindset and trauma and old ways and old thoughts. Every day I'm trying to fight those things, invite in these new positive thoughts and ways of thinking. I don't even have a space. And so I think somebody was worried about Instagram and celebrity status and a great following um you got too much time on your hand (laughs) you you're not working on yourself enough Mm -hmm. if you even have the time because again if you being greedy working on your purpose and passion then you will naturally get a good following it'll be contagious for people the way you work on yourself you know take care of yourself and pursue your passion your energy will be contagious Mm -hmm. so It works quite the opposite. Trying to get attention by catering to and keeping up with everybody doesn't get you the real attention you need. But really worrying about yourself, standing your lane, Mm. you know, that's going to get you some genuine attention.
0: Yeah it it can be so simple but we get stuck into comparing comparison and comparing our lives to what everybody else is doing and that's the power in social media if you don't use social media social media is gonna use you <laughs> and I'm telling you that's a terrible way to be in yeah and I see how you said how people are so consumed in celebrity drama and celebrities life What when it's so much knowledge out here to not be focusing on personal
1: development? Yes. It's like, why are you not interested in yourself? Absolutely. And I think that, you know, I kind of had the cheat code. My kid, people say that kids change their life. My kid forced me to work on professional development because your kid, like, puts a mirror up to your face where you, you know, look at, at yourself. And you're not gonna have any excuses of why you fail at that job. It's not gonna be nobody to blame, even me. I'm a single parent. I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna use that as an excuse in 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 years. You know, when she gets grown and she's not who I wanted her to be. So I have that no excuse mentality. This is the most important job I have on this earth. I don't want my kid to wind up on a sofa unless she absolutely needs to. There's nothing wrong with getting counseling but you know (laughs) i don't want her to wind up on the sofa for trauma caused. um i want her to be you know a healthy person uh so it kind of gave me a sense of urgency about professional development you know even hearing her repeat some things that i say do i like the way that sounds coming out of her mouth well i probably shouldn't say that um so i knew i had to be my best my best self for her she deserved that again because she doesn't get to pick parts of both parents and then decide who she's going to become we're together 24 7 she's going to be a little version of me
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> yes especially she's going to be a little woman yes the princess walking into her kingdom
1: yes so that that but but having a kid you know that helped me but people they're Goals can be their kid. You know, I know this doesn't serve me well for what I'm trying to be. So I need to get rid of this, get rid of that. I need to improve this, improve that. So people have got to create that thing that forces them to take professional development serious.
0: And I love also what stood out to me. You earned your BA in communication. Tell us about the importance of communication in relationships.
1: In relationships? Yeah, so communicating the, the expectations, uh, super duper important. Interpersonal communication skills, listening, being an active listener, super important. Being a problem solver. Uh, definitely super important. Be, like I said, be, if you can't communicate effectively what you're trying to do, no one knows how and where they can help you. So my grandmother was big on communication. I had a really good command of the English language at like seven or eight. I mean, I talked extremely proper, um, AKA in the hood, I talked white. My my family <laughs> my family hated it they mocked it the kids in my class hated it no one talked like that Um, my grandmother had no problem with it when i got up there and did my easter speech and and gave the church welcome she sat there beaming with pride because she was like don't listen to these fools you need to know how to talk you going somewhere Yes, and um, I, uh, you know I went to HBCU. So uh, you know, I had a point in my life re- re- where I reflected on. I, I, I want to make sure I'm not assimilating. Let me put a little soul back in this. So uh, it, it, it isn't as quite as proper as it used to be. <laughs> but communication was important. Speak up. Don't mumble. What do you What do you need? What do you What's going on? Um, and that, that served me well, could communicate well. Like I said, I was able to reach out to adults where kids my age didn't even know what a conversation looked like, reaching out to an adult to help you with a goal. It was unheard of. Like, who taught you how to go tell people your goals and seek out? It served me well to learn how to communicate and to, to speak up for myself. My, You know, even, for, for even beyond speaking correct, my grandmother let me speak up. Like I was very loyally when I was a kid. I had an argument for everything, okay? And whereas most parents and grandparents would kind of like call it talking back, my grandmother would let me. She would let me go on with my point and, and uh, my older aunts hated it. They're like, she didn't do that when we was kids. You know, that's talking back. And she would allow me to have a point, have an opinion, ask a question. Now her answer would always be, all right, keep living. She'd get tired of arguing with me when I say, why is this like that and that shouldn't be like that? And I don't. And she'd just say, keep living you understand and and she wasn't lying I did not have the knowledge to understand the whys behind certain things but communicating well um, has served you know communicating has served me me well and I I had a great communication department at Prairie View a lot of my classmates are newscasters sports um, sports reporters own their own media and marketing companies um super duper successful serious black excellence in the media field so i've benefited greatly from choosing that major
0: we love to see it we love to see it and that's beautiful that your grandmother allowed you to ask questions she didn't just cut you off and shut it down she allowed you to communicate effectively in your manner, in your way. As a child, we gotta let our kids be curious and ask questions like that. That's incredible. And what stood out to me the most, because I can relate, when people tell you that you talk white, how can you talk a color? That's what I wanna know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think, you know, I get a gist of what they're saying. I, I, I can say, I understand where they're coming from with that. We're just scared of what we, you know, we don't understand. Um, but I I do, I do believe that some kids um, assimilate, assimilate, especially in an area where it's not very many people of color. Um, I, I, I've, I, I believe that, I do. I, I've noticed it in myself. I think I went to a, most of my education, I went to heavy brown and black, Hispanic and black. One middle school we went, I went to for a year was, I was in the gifted and talented, it was more white. And even the brown kids were assimilating. You could tell they didn't want nothing to do with Spanish. And it was like, if their parents spoke Spanish, they were ashamed. And, and they spoke really, really proper English. And I can remember just kind of sensing myself trying to sound as close as I could to how they spoke. And I was like, okay, I just want to say everything correctly. But, you know, I kind of checked myself and realized that early on. So I think it's a thing. It's saying we're talking white is ignorant, but I do think parents owe it to themselves and their kids to just observe their behavior especially if you're in an area that there's none uh, not a lot of people of color make sure your kid is being themselves so
0: yeah because that programming is so real i was just watching how they tested racism in school and little kids will say that a white doll is beautiful doll- and a black doll is ugly so it starts mm-hmm. early on it's powerful in that and this was truly insightful, truly amazing, Tamika. Please let us know where we can find your book and where we can connect
1: with you more. Okay. So, my book can be found at Um, and uh, here in the near future I'm doing uh, some coaching on just being greedy, <laughs> being grateful and greedy, um, just Just some different coaching and actually buying the book will allow you to get the coaching for free. So, um, go to my website, purchase the book. Um, you'll receive an email here shortly in a couple of weeks about that course. Um, and then we'll, we'll just stay connected. If you're not ready for purchase, just get on my email list. I send out, um, lots of great content all the time. Um, you can connect with me on, IG at Newman underscore GGA. So, oh, and then I have a, a, my personal business, Greet and Grind Athletics. Greet and is the website. I do um, volleyball skills training, leadership training and consulting, affordable and professional. So anybody that's in that sports area can hit me up there.
0: Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Just your resilience and everything that you've been through, and just so much more in store and so much more to come. Thank to
1: you. This is amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Such an awesome platform. I've been listening. It's so uplifting. It's just awesome.
0: Oh, I appreciate you. Everything that you're doing is so inspiring, especially to young women like myself, seeing women of color, a beautiful black woman, stepping into her power, teaching volleyball, teaching and coaching. It's so impactful to me. Thank you
1: for your say. Thank you so much for having me.
0: You're welcome. And thank you, <laughs> listeners, for tuning in, tapping into another Take the Lead podcast. We will see you at the top. <smart> okay. <noise>